Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And also encourage individuals to speak up through a broad range of pathways, not just to your call. You know, it's, it's not an anonymous report and we split report every single time, it's cultivating that environment of, of ensuring you don't walk past something that isn't quite right. In this edition of the GRC Professional Podcast, I speak to Nathan Luker from Yurko, who talks a little bit about the importance of having an effective whistleblowing regime. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and GRC Professional Online. And today we have Nathan Luker, who's the CEO of Yurko. Hi, Nathan. Good day, Kwame. How are you? I'm all right. So I guess we can get started by letting people know why they should be listening to this podcast in the first place. Tell me a bit about yourself and tell me a bit about your call. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Really pleased to be here with you, Kwame. Uh, your call's been around for about 15 years uh, in total. And I guess in that time, we've built a reputation as one of the leading independent whistleblowing services. Um, and we've, we really specialise in end-to-end independent services uh, that help whistleblowers speak up safely. Uh, and then remain in contact with the organisation through the duration of the review or investigation that uh, ensues afterwards. And we, we do that in a range of ways, but we essentially act as a conduit uh, with our online tools, etc. Uh, we work with some of Australia's largest organisations, like Art Centre Melbourne, Bridgestone, Cancer Council, the Australian Institute of Company Directors, for example, uh, and we provide both hotline services and online reporting and then help build a speak-up program, essentially. Right, excellent. Um, just sort of moving on from there, really. I, so you talk about creating a secure space for um, people speaking up safely within their organisations. Um, was there a big gap in the market there? Was that, is that a challenge that organisations have been struggling with over the years? Definitely. I think the service of someone calling a hotline there definitely was no shortage of those type of providers. But in relation to a specialist enterprise level organisation that's provided something built around the Australian standards, built around the global best practice and the way that people speak up, and delivering a humanistic, compassionate service that understood uh, the types of reports that may be, for example, of a sensitive nature, that person may need to have access to support services both inside and outside the organisation. Uh, we help people stay anonymous if they choose to be, and that's by stripping you know, all types of identification from their reports and evidence before the organisation receives it. And then afterwards, once they have access to our, you know, it's like a chat room, uh, where it's a three-way message board, uh, our team, our male and female uh, uh, licensed investigators or disclosure officers, they approve the messages going back and forth or act as the conduit. So they hold the organisation at our ethical standard also help the individual feel safe, be able to report victimisation and retaliation at any time and not feel threatened by the person who they may be in direct contact with, uh, with their disclosure. So there was definitely a gap for that end-to-end type service and it's really resonated and we're really pleased uh, with the outcome of the legislation and the direction this is taken, uh, this is moving, I guess, obviously. Excellent. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, meeting the Australian standards and then you've also mentioned the legislation in that answer just now. So I guess... Moving into what just passed through Parliament recently, um, the increased yeah. protections for whistleblowers. Um, are, are you happy with what you've seen come through from that? Do you think that is enough in terms of protections? It's a, it's a great question. It's a big question that everyone in the industry is being asked or, or, or CEOs and, and organisation and leaders are asking. Uh, I think 
think it's a terrific step towards uh, greater protections. Uh, it has been significantly changed, as you know. We have financial implications for non-compliance in certain key areas. There's the mandatory policy element that's required and that the sections within that policy have been expanded upon. For example, the definition of whistleblowers is far broader. Mm. Yeah. Your call had it was already operating at that level, for example, but it's terrific to see other organisations who are now clients, for example, broadening that outside just employees. There's a range of other compliance issues that we can go into in terms of the legislation, if you like, but I think one of the most important things is it's brought it onto the boardroom table as a discussion point potentially more so than in the past, and especially for private organisations that technically uh, didn't have any type of requirement if, uh, if they didn't feel the need, I guess, to have a strong level of compliance and oversight of this area. So we think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Could it do more, potentially? Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely could. Uh, and what will happen in the future from these changes, well, obviously time will tell. Uh, we need to have a bit of time to see what will transpire following the introduction of the new legislation. Right, excellent. And I, I assume that with the legislation coming through, um, um, maybe I'd, may, has that changed some of the conversations you might be having with organisations in terms of building their own systems, um, like proper frameworks and yeah. stuff? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think it does, it's done two things. Uh, one, it's helped or I guess shape the discussion of how the process works and it has helped enable um, a, I guess a greater level of oversight in the process so leaders and uh, board members and people uh, at the top of the organisation who are generally the ones in charge of developing this program understand how it connects to the broader uh, scope of the organisation in producing this conduct some of the terrific organisations are going that extra step and they're understanding that when used as a tool to cultivate a speak-up culture of the long term in a way to demonstrate a zero tolerance to misconduct and to help the trust within an organisation, to help uh, the individuals of the organisation believe that there's a zero tolerance to misconduct and if they do speak up, either as a bystander or as as a victim, that something's going to be done about it. They're going to be treated compassionately, respected. It's going to be welcomed and action will be taken. And, and that's terrific to see. One of our clients are sent to Melbourne is, is a terrific example of best practice where they've created a program called Know the Line. Uh, their goal, as, as it always been, but their goal in, in relation to this program is to be a leader in the entertainment industry and to demonstrate that they can recognise good and bad behaviour and also encourage individuals to speak up through a broad range of pathways, not just to your call. You know, it's, it's not an anonymous report, whistleblowing report every single time. It's cultivating that environment of, of ensuring you don't walk past something that isn't quite right. So it definitely is shaping uh, the discussions to be more progressive in that uh, in that direction, definitely. Right, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the word culture, and of course, with you know, with the Royal Commission inquiries and what not, what else has been going on, I mean, that is, I guess, one of the key issues. And of course, you have to have before you can build those policies and frameworks, you definitely also need to have that culture that encourages people to speak up when they see the wrongdoing to happen in the first place, regardless of the type of the framework that you might have. Um, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely right. You know, just quick on it, as a side note, you're absolutely correct. What happens is uh, that organisations, sometimes you lose sight that this is a spoke in the wheel. 
you know, whistleblowing is just a spoke in the wheel to the broader context of their organisation. It's, it's clearly linked to trust. Yeah. Uh, and the engagement scores of the employee body and the belief that, you know, when you ask, you know, we have a speak-up survey, the clients work through it, have you seen misconduct in the last six months or 12 months, yes, no, and a lot of the times when, when that answer is yes, and then the, the following question is, have you have you reported it, and the answer is unfortunately no, uh, a lot of the time, I think 76% of the time in our surveys that we run um, with uh, organisations that aren't yet clients, you know, we tend to do this survey as a baseline. Uh, it, it, it correlates to low trust, uh, low trust scores or engagement scores that we don't believe something's going to be done about it or I'm in fear or in the past something has occurred that wasn't handled correctly in the public. So there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle here uh, that goes into whistleblowing, far greater than just having a policy and complying with the legislation. And, and that's if the organisation has a goal for best practice to go that extra mile. Mm. Um, it, there's a lot to it and that's, I guess, where we, where we come in. So. Yeah, excellent. Um, so one of the things you said earlier is you, when we addressed the legislation, is that you spoke about already operating at that high level. You know, you're already operating with the, what I guess would be under the legislation, new definition of a whistleblower. Um, so I'm assuming from then that probably means that there are many organizations who are already, you know, pretty mature in this area and already have pretty strong frameworks prior to the legislation being established. Um, is that something that you saw in the market? Yes and no. Um, I, I, you're right. Uh, organisations that uh, participate with our service and use our service, there are a range of checks and balances that need to occur, including including a legally validated best practice policy uh, framework, a clear and adequate and a you know conflict of interest free officer stack. And officers are whistleblower protection officers. They're the individuals who are responsible uh, in the policy to receiving reports and, and I guess acting as what we call you know the whistleblower champions. When types inside the organisations so are held in a high a high ethical standard or regard. Uh, so there's a range. Of, you're right. There's a range of elements there that are already operating. That's, that uh, it's well trained, well communicated. However, uh, you do uh, come into contact with. Some organisations uh, in the early days um, of, of uh, productions, etc., where they're, they're not so well polished. Uh, they may have a policy, but no one knows about it, yeah. or it hasn't been updated. Most organisations, very rarely, if ever, would we encounter an organisation that doesn't have a good intent. So it's very rare to meet an organisation or a leader who doesn't want to at least improve in this area or, or is open to receiving constructive feedback about very quickly uh, improving. And that was before the legislation as well. Um, in our experience, I guess the gap was in what to do when it's received. And we spent a lot of our time there with clients as well. Okay, well, it's one thing to have a system, a system in place. Um, and you know, it's not adequate to just have software or just have an anonymous form that goes to the HR team with one person providing oversight. You know, the differing levels of your program. So once we get them up to a, a, a sort of a high standard of operating level, uh, what do you do when you actually receive a report? How do you act? And that, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Excellent. And I guess that lends perfectly into the next question, um, is how does one practically set up an effective um, framework for whistleblowing within their organisation? Do you mean the elements of the program yeah. as a whole? Yeah, just the, the elements. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, the, the legislation has 
brought about some discussion around it, the compliance burden um, that organisations need to address. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go into that in terms of what to do now for, in, in response to the legislation. But in terms of a, a, a structure, all organisations are, are a little bit different in the way you know, their, their geographical locations, mm-hmm. where they're based, different legislation in different parts of the world, and all that jazz. But to keep it simple, as, a, as a, I guess the critical path, uh, there needs to be commitment from the top. And that we hear that all the time. But it's really crucial with whistleblowing because once the tone is set at the top that proper action will be taken if a report comes through, that the adequate resources are allocated to uh, the officers who are in charge of the program, that it's going to be well communicated to the Order and Risk Committee, for example, the, the reporting of the standard, maybe internal audit is involved mm. with helping set up the program to ensure that it's at a high level, compliant, with the best practice service provider in place, and then involving HR in terms of getting a baseline of the trust and culture engagement I mentioned. All of these components are really important. But first and foremost, tone is set at the top. Secondly, the officers who are tasked with the responsibility, I guess, to act as the leaders in the whistleblowing program, they need to ensure that their overt and covert behaviours line up. You know, it's one thing to try and have the policies and do everything and follow all the steps that you know, someone like the GRC are really great at doing and providing the framework of, of what to do, but it's another thing to live it every single day. Mm. So the covert behaviours of those of those officers are key because they're really the champions. They're the, they're the ones who are going to promote reporting so, uh, and, and the, the trust in the system. Thirdly is the whistleblower policy for obvious reasons. And the policy must set out things like the protections available to the whistleblowers, the support structures, and, and it's important. Um, one of our clients, Griffith University, um, has done a lot of work in this space with whistling while they work too with AJ Brown. He's instrumental with helping with the legislation and just essentially the leader in, in the world with whistleblowing research, I believe, you know, yeah. definitely in the, in the top, top cohort, which no doubt you're aware of who that is. And, uh, and and very strong on the level of support required. And we follow that model pre, uh, during and post. So providing support services or access to support services before the person actually re- requests it. So that's another important element within, within the policy. Another one is, uh, and how you'll support them from de- detriment, obviously. Um, how the company will actually investigate the, the disclosures, as I, as I mentioned. That's a big part of it, and there's, I won't go into it now, but there's a whole range of things that need to occur in there to ensure procedural consistency over the long term. The policy needs to demonstrate how the company will ensure fair treatment of employees and, and other stakeholders who are mentioned in these disclosures uh, or who maybe they, the disclosures relate to. Uh, how are made available and communicated and any other matters uh, that the regular, you know, specific regulation is required, etc. So the policy is obviously key. Fourthly is a communication and training strategy or the amplification stages what we what we mentioned. Now this is going to be different for every organisation. Uh, I mentioned Art Centre Melbourne earlier as, as sort of the North Star because they worked on and that one of the just terrific programs uh, it was branded no the line. It's larger than any one person within the organisation. Right. It included a 
segmented training at different levels of the organisation on a regular basis. It had in-office installations, external activations. We worked with the Human Rights Commission to get the messaging correct and on point. And it was uh, an absolute joy to be a part of. And so branding and framing the program in the broader context of the organisation and clearly linking it to uh, the way that you do business is key. Absolutely key. And that's something we have with clients in a way. We're sort of like a, a marketing and communications agency as well in a way because we're doing exciting branding projects, we're doing training and it's terrific. So it's very different, for example, to other clients we work with, like um, construction company. It's a little bit different. You know, they've got toolbox talks. Uh, they have uh, different types of delivery methods for training, sometimes even different types of focuses for their conduct types. So that obviously is malleable with the type of organisation. But that generally is the framework. Mm, In terms of responding to the legislation I mentioned, there there are a few things you need to obviously do uh, to do that, get ready for that, and I can talk about that later if you like, but um, it's definitely something that needs long-term commitment and and, uh, a lot of support, as you can tell. Okay, excellent. Well, I think definitely if we talked about the legislation, we'd probably go well over time, so we could probably make a part two of the podcast for that. Um, okay. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely um, right. It's a, it's a long one. Yeah, but no, that's really great. And I guess what you've provided there is giving um, listeners a, 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 a practical sense of what they should be looking for, looking out for in terms of when they're looking to hopefully not build but improve their already existing frameworks. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, is there anything, any advice you have for the, um, professionals? And I guess you would have done that in sort of demo explaining what the basic elements are, but is there any advice that you might have, just like some quick points on what maybe they should do to do like a quick health check on the existing frameworks that they have, just to make sure that they it's still working? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And uh, I think there's quite a few CEOs within those <laughs> organizations and, and uh, private business who are doing that right now. But not to mention, if it should be, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you know, whilst directly regulating only listed and large private companies, like smaller organisations, government organisations, certain not-for-profits, etc., all need to be mindful, of, you know, of the new benchmarks, yeah. of the new requirements that they'll set out. Because although technically you don't need to line up with it from a compliance perspective, it's obviously incredibly important, and I think you know, has a material impact on the organisation the way it does. In terms of what to do next, um, I think we are putting out some great content at the moment, both with your corner, I believe, with GRCI in the key steps. There's a range of white papers uh, that can be found as well that are really detailed, but from a high level, uh, we need to we obviously hopefully ensure you can cultivate support at the top of the organisation, but practically speaking, review your whistleblower policy and how that interlinks with them, other policies in close proximity to it, like the code of conduct, etc. Potentially uh, customer or resident complaints if you're in aged care, etc. Ensure that there is harmony with the policies, that it's clear in plain English, right. and that it covers the key points that we spoke about earlier in terms of uh, the components of a policy. Secondly, how to make it available, communicate it and train it on a, on a regular basis and segment that training down to the various types of people uh, at the organisation. There'll be a point there in the legislation around that may involve senior managers as being receivers of, of uh, reports and that it needs to be considered. Thirdly, uh, determine 
how individuals will be protected from victimisation and the support that you'll provide them if you haven't done so already. An EAP, EAP service is one step. It's better than, better than nothing and, and effective in certain situations, but mm. we definitely think you can do more in that area. And fourthly, uh, ensuring that there is a strong approach to confidentiality not only because it's the right thing to do but also because there are new financial implications for organizations and individuals for not doing so so i think they've been a high the headline up tasks i think our checklist has about 20 uh, or 25 maybe more points that you need to consider but they're definitely the headline the headline items all right well Thank you so much, Nathan. I think that was very informative, and we definitely will do a part two to this podcast, um, I guess looking a little bit more at the legislation side of things. Um, um, yeah, and so hopefully we'll have you on the podcast sometime again soon. Thanks, Kwame. Keep up the great work. We love listening to the podcasts when they come out. So thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute, and the original music was written by Rob Neary.